This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I know you're going to have a great day. I hope you're having a great week. Coming up shortly, Chad Pergram's going to bring us inside the vote yesterday on that HR1, which became S1, which became DOA. That's dead on arrival. And we'll talk about what that means for a possible infrastructure compromise and the filibuster and so much more. Chad Pergram coming up. And, of course, we... Are we taking calls? We've had two days where we've had no phones, which is interesting. I think it's like 1968, and we're just going with the phone. And Maybe I should have that earpiece I just put next to my ear, and I talk into uh, a switchboard. Uh, but we haven't really gotten the phones yet, so I won't give the number out. But if you want to write me and be part of the show, it might work out better for you because you're going back to work now, and you probably can't make a call in the middle of the day from the office. Just go to briankillme.com, click on comments, and it'll come to me. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Western culture and values that brought forth Christianity in the founding documents are being called evil and racist. My child is not oppressed, and don't assume that. As long as you Marxists push your unconstitutional agenda on my child, she will not be returning back to Mount County schools. Oh, there you go. A lot of anger there. Fireworks erupting, standing up and gaining momentum. The fight to defend our history and prevent critical race theory from taking root takes off. Finally, patriotic Americans are showing they are willing to take the heat for the next generation and this one. Number two. Well, first, I think if you look at a number of cities across the country, it is actually driven by gun violence. Um, there are major cities across the country where gun violence is absolutely the driver, where it is absolutely increasing. Uh, Jen Psaki, uh, talking about guns in America. Even Joe knows crime is a problem. Diagnosing the problem and offering a solution is where the, we separate on this issue. As Dems dig in on gun grabbing, police reform, making sure criminals don't pay the price, and not backing the blue. Number one. I'm thrilled that we defeated S1 tonight. This was a victory for the angels. This bill was written in hell by the devil himself. This bill wouldn't make it easier to vote. This would make it easier to vote illegally. So true. Senator Mike Lee. Down goes S-1, the most radical and unconstitutional voting reform ever presented. It fails. The vote was purely on party lines, and Dems are the utter definition of sore losers. And here's what I'm talking about. So the SR-1, I'll just give you an idea of what would be in it. 800 pages to centralize, federalize our elections. Where did this come from? Why did they think this would actually pass? 15 straight days of early voting, 10 hours or open a day, no restrictions when vote by mail. So if you want to vote by mail, do it. Don't show an ID, don't worry about it. Restores voting rights to convicted felons, finally. Prohibits voter roll purging. So if you just, this is what's in S1 if it passed, because HR1 passed the, passed the House. So, for example, if you move and you go from Atlanta over to Seattle, uh, you should not be on Atlanta's voting rolls. They don't want that scrubbed. They don't want anything updated. They don't want letters saying out saying, we just want to verify that you live here. 
because we have you listed in two places. Vote harvesting would be ingrained in our system. They expand early and absentee voting. It'll be voting month. So when you have those debates, oops, I voted already. That third debate uh, would have really made a difference and overhauled the campaign finance system. So we'd be giving millions of our dollars, which would, could be going to legal immigrants where it belongs, tongue in cheek. Uh, millions of our dollars towards candidates we don't like or do like. It doesn't even matter. This is what's in the 800-plus pages, plus automatic voter registration wherever you are. You don't have to show voter ID, so you have to vote out, opt out, rather than opt in. There's a reason why you opt in. That's when you verify your identification and your location and where you live. So that's just some of the things that would be in there. Uh, abolishing voter ID is bad. Online voting registration, I think, is bad. Same-day registration during early voting on Election Day is bad. We don't know where these people are coming from. We just want to make sure our votes count. I thought, but no. Joe Biden, in a statement, which I'll, I'll read to you, uh, I think personally irresponsibly, writes this. Democrats in Congress unanimously came together to protect sacred rights to vote, means his, his, his friends, in supporting the For the People Act, that's what they call it, and defending the rights of voters. They stood united for democracy. They stood against ongoing assault of voter suppression that represents a Jim Crow era in the 21st century. Absolutely wrong. You lived through Jim Crow. Your buddies were Jim Crow. Your best buddy you spoke at his funeral was, uh, was uh, I don't know what they call the head of the Ku Klux Klan, the Grand Wizard. He also was a manager in uh, the WWF before it was the WWE, the Grand Wizard. But that's what Senator Byrd was. That You lived that. And for, as far as I know, you didn't condemn that. And now you can you think it's the same thing? Unfortunately, a Democratic stand is to protect our democracy met a solid Republican wall of opposition. Senate Republicans opposed even a debate, even considering legislation to protect the right to vote in our democracy. What do you want to debate? 800 pages of no-go, stuff that has nothing to do with voting, just jamming it through. Kamala Harris goes down there, not needed, obviously. This is not a simple majority rule. You need 60 votes. Nobody's close. This is another example of her unable to speak from the heart because she's so scripted or inept. Cut three. The issue here is, is there actual access to the voting process or is that being impeded? And uh, the, the bottom line is that the president and I are very clear. We support S-1. We support the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And the fight is not over. Wow. Motivational. Uh, Senator Mike Lee weighs in. And I'll, you know what? I'm not even going to go to Mike Lee. I want to go to Murkowski because Murkowski, Collins, Romney, Portman, they're the ones who uh, many people on the left look to to say I could convince them. This is Lisa Murkowski. Read the 800 pages. Cut seven. The bill that we have in front of us is not so much about voting rights as it is a federal takeover of the election system. And the way the bill is being advertised, that we can't count on states to do elections right or fairly, is a premise that I have a problem with. All right. Uh, that's true. So do you want Washington, D.C., Joe Biden, Kamala Harris to tell Alaska how to vote? She says no. She's right. They shouldn't tell Oregon how to vote. They shouldn't tell Nebraska how to vote. They shouldn't tell Florida how to vote. We got it. Oh, we're going to stop gerrymandering or redistricting. Really? So if Republican legislature is going to undo what we've been doing for 220 plus years, deciding where the districts would be. And if there's a Democratic legislature, you want some computer model, nonpartisan computer model to draw up your districts who's never been down your main street or went to your general store or your Walmart? Since when is that the American way? Please tell me how this is Jim Crow 2.0. 
So let's talk about something we can agree on. Crime is rampant in our major cities and maybe in your town. When you talk about Baltimore, when you talk about Chicago, when you talk about New York, when you talk about Philadelphia, when you talk about Austin, Texas, when you talk about Los Angeles, when you talk about San Francisco, you are talking about a rise in crime. Disturbing. What do we also know in those areas? They are run by Democrats, liberal Democrats like Lightfoot and de Blasio, who is inept as well. Great combination. And then you have DAs who want to let people out of prison, not prosecute, prosecute crime. At the same time, we're emptying prisons and in many states deciding that police are the enemy and we are going to empty our jails with no bail rules, no cash bail rules. You combine all that and crime is rising. Here's some stats I think you should know. Over the last three months uh, of 2020, homicides rose 32 percent in the cities with population of at least one million. That according to the FBI. According to another survey, homicides rose from 6,000 annually to 8,000, while aggravated assaults rose by nearly 33,000. Okay, Um, this is the nation's large, the largest law enforcement jurisdiction saw an increase in at least uh, one category of crime that according to the major cities, uh, police chiefs association. So realizing this is an issue and people like Thomas Friedman, who went way left with The New York Times, says, if you want Donald Trump to be president again, you allow this crime to be out of control. You continue to say things like to fund the police. You continue to say backing the blue is the issue. You now had a chance for a year to understand what it's like when people turn in their badges, they decide to retire, they quit, or academies don't fill up, or you defund them, like you did in New York, like you did in Los Angeles, like you're doing in Philadelphia. So his answer, his answer is a Joe Biden's crime prevention plan is all about guns. Some of the highlights. Stem flow of the firearms used to commit violence, including by holding a rogue firearm dealers accountable. Again, this guy's all about guns. He doesn't get it. People are being carjacked, burglarized, pickpocketed, invest in evidence-based community violence intervention. Excuse me. Can you just say back the police? But you can't say that because you're afraid of alienating AOC and Omar Omar. Support local law enforcement with federal tools and resources to help address summer a violent crime. Okay, so it's seasonal. So I guess get them shirts, uh, short sleeves and, and, and sunscreen. Fantastic. Jen Psaki tries to explain it. Cut 11. Well, first, I think if you look at a number of cities across the country, it is actually driven by gun violence. Um, there are major cities across the country where gun violence is absolutely the driver, where it is absolutely increasing. And that will be a central part of what he'll talk about when he delivers his remarks tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's today. So we'll see in a little uh, while, and it's guns. And what does this do? It blends their issue. Getting guns, they hate guns, they hate the Second Amendment. Most do, not people like Joe Manchin and, or, or Democratic states that uh, seem to embrace guns, like, you know, like West Virginia, like Florida. Uh, when you have Democrats represent you and you come out anti-gun, you're not going to be representing that city for very long in those states. So when it comes to guns, there's an issue. For Joe Biden, it's the only issue. But he knows better. This guy in 1994 really led the spearhead of the effort with this uh, criminal justice reform where you crack down on crime, but it disproportionately affected minority communities, and he's apologized for that. But this is not how you answer the bell. Now, some will point out and say, well, this started 18 months ago, and the stats say it does. Does anyone listening to me right now think that Donald Trump wasn't kicking and screaming in every single city and saying you guys got to do something? Are you going to tell me he didn't try to put federal troops and didn't do that in Seattle and Portland? You're wrong. Didn't he say, I'll give the National Guard, I need a request from Chicago to stop the gang violence in Chicago? You are right if you 
say that because that's absolutely true. But Mayor Lightfoot says that's ignorant. Don't even bother. That's racist. But not many people think that Joe Biden cares about crime. He wants to change that today. Why? Because his Democratic operatives say this is a death sentence for 2022. That's why. Ben Dominich knows that this is not the way you address the rising crime numbers. Cut 14. I think the president's going to say a lot of things that don't have a lot to do with what's gone on in the country over the past year and a half. If only there were a way to look back in time at things that were being said last summer, at things that were being promoted, ideas about the nature of policing and the way that prosecutors ought to drop various cases as being uh, nonviolent acts, you know, such as you know, vandalism and uh, robbing stores and the like. If only we could look back in time, and maybe then we would be able to know why we're seeing this type of rise in crime. It's just a mystery why all of this happened, uh, as opposed to being a reflection of the actual policies that the Democratic Party wants to put in place. Yeah, and I, I just think you understand this is, a, this is a cut and dry issue. There's one law and order party, and there's one that isn't. And adding to the law and order party was criminal justice reform because there was something that had to be addressed about race-based crime and what was happening. And there were giving people an additional opportunity. And there were some great stories during the Trump years. And even Van Jones came out and said, listen, i got to give President Trump credit when credit's due and Jared Kushner as well. They did it. But at the same time, you can be tough on crime. Just to give you an idea of non-gun-related crime spikes in major cities. I mean, take an example of Chicago. Sexual assaults, 23%. In Los Angeles, motor vehicle theft, up 11%. Um, uh, assaults, up 10%. Motor vehicle theft in Washington, up 30%. In San Francisco, arson, up 18%. Motor vehicle uh, theft, up uh, 6%. Same thing with burglary, up 6%. In New York City, the numbers are astronomical. Hate crimes, up 116%. Grand larceny, up 25%. These are just some numbers to give you an idea how Joe Biden is going to act like he's tough on crime, but he cannot be because he would lose his wild left, who basically they've passed laws now where cops shouldn't chase thieves if they get too far ahead of them or they actually lose sight, where you have you can steal up to $1,000 worth of merchandise without being prosecuted in Los Angeles. Prostitution in New York City, don't worry about getting arrested. And marijuana, even though there was an arrest of an NBA player with marijuana possession, that's not going to be around for too much longer. That's the country we're in. Let's see the one you want. When we come back, uh, I'll continue to expand on this, and I'll build up on critical race theory. And what you know has nothing to do with denying our past, our civil war, the black codes, um, the civil unrest and the civil rights reform that happened in the 1960s. Nothing to do with that. It is all you learn about our past, but you don't vilify this generation of white people, which they're demanding in the classroom. From K through 12 through college. Gotta stop. Don't move. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Tonight was um, our school board meeting on steroids, but it has been typical like this all year, silencing us. Every time we try to speak, every time we try to write emails, they don't answer us. Um, it, 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 it erupted. Emotions were high tonight, for sure. It was the last school, school board meeting, there were 250 people signed up to speak, and they shut us down right after... Uh, Dick Black stood up and spoke, and he is a retired senator here in Virginia, Republican senator. And as soon as we all erupted in in cheering and applauding, uh, she shut it down. Yeah, that was uh, Amy Jar, uh, a parent uh, who stood up in Loudoun County and spoke up at our school board meeting. They're tired of hearing about the vilification of white people, that her white uh, kids have to apologize. They come back rattled when now that they're going to school, and she witnessed it when she looked over their shoulder through Zoom meetings. It's really mobilized so many people in that town and so many other towns in this country, and now they're pushing back against people that are critical. And initially, when people like Ian Pryor s- spoke up, who's been a guest on our show before, they tried to dox him on Facebook. And then he stood up and said, really? You're going to try to intimidate me? Do you know who I am? Work for President Trump, work for President Bush. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Then he realized other people were being marginalized, too, and they spoke up against critical race theory. So they weren't going to take it. Now they've unified. And now they tried to take over these school board meetings in an organized, emotional way. But they got cut off, shut out, shut down. And so far, critical race theory is still there. Now, what is that? It's about equity, giving back, paying back, pushing towards reparations for things that happened 220 years ago. Instead of learning about history, these people who are in third grade or 11th grade are being told if you're white, you got to apologize. And if you speak up, you're a racist. Well, that's not going to fly because you're not if you do. In this country, you shouldn't be vilified for speaking up to defend something. Also, aren't we tired of hearing about black Americans, Indian Americans, Italian Americans? I'm black, I'm white, I'm female, I'm male, I'm minority. Enough. Can we just be Americans and when asked, give me the hyphen? The hyphen's killing the country. So another example of somebody who speaks up, got a very successful blog, is Chris. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. (laughs) 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Bufo. Uh, Chris Rufo is, uh, was on with Tucker last night and talked about how they're trying to cancel him and what it means in the big picture, because you can't. He's a podcaster. People still download. Cut 25. I think it's really important for viewers to understand the difference between equality and equity, which is really what we're talking about here. Equality is the idea that everyone is created equal, that everyone should have equal protection under the law. But equity, this idea that sounds good, it sounds soft and fuzzy, uh, actually means something totally different. It means that they're trying to divide uh, the country into competing racial groups. They're using active racial discrimination, which they call anti-racist discrimination, to try to achieve equality of outcomes. And listen, regimes in the 20th century tried this approach of equity. It left body counts in the tens of millions, uh, and we shouldn't try it here. Uh, there's no chance that this will succeed, and we have to know exactly where it's starting, which is in our schools. It's true, and let's speak up. Hey, uh, Democrats, it's not organized. These are just parents. They're just people concerned. This is no Republican operation. When we come back, Chad Pergrams, we the inside the legislation, what happened yesterday, what's likely to happen today, and what about infrastructure? Bipartisanship? Question mark? Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And today, every single Democratic senator stood together in the fight to protect the right to vote in America. For the first time this, in this Congress, we got all 50 Democrats unified behind moving forward on a strong and comprehensive voting rights bill. And make no mistake about it. It will not be the last time that voting rights comes up for a debate in the Senate. Republicans may want to avoid the topic, hoping that their party's efforts to suppress votes and defend the big lie will go unnoticed. So much of my concern with what we have in front of us is that when you nationalize something, when you have kind of the federal, federal overall oversight, it's a, it ends up being a one-size-fits-all mandate coming out of Washington, D.C. that in many cases doesn't work in a place like Alaska. Senator Mikowski, that right-wing firebrand of being sarcastic, she came out and said, you got to be kidding. It makes all the rhetoric shame, shame, shame with Schumer from two days ago if you don't vote for this, as if we want to keep people or anybody wants to keep somebody from voting. They just want it organized to make sure your vote counts. And I was staggered to see a recent poll that says between 70 and 80 percent of the American people want you to show up, for example, with voter ID. And so much of these 800 pages plus pages is not palatable to mainstream America, even though it's uh, it's loved by left wing America. Um, so let's bring in Chad Pergram from Washington, D.C. Chad knows what was the biggest surprise to emerge yesterday? The biggest surprise was just how revved up uh, certain folks on the left got uh, when they said, hey, you know, we got Joe Manchin's vote. It's going to be a 50 50 vote when this didn't really move the ball down the field at all. Now, what Democrats were able to do, Brian, is claim unanimity on their side, which was important. 
there was a deal that was made between Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate, to say, okay, if we ever do get onto the bill, uh, we will take your proposal, and that will be the de facto bill, which was blessed by Stacey Abrams, and that's significant. Uh, but the idea that you have a 50-50 Senate, it didn't do anything. And what this really did was it gave Joe Manchin air cover. You know, he's been getting a lot of criticism from the left about not being a team player, even though he's voted for most you know, things. He voted for the big COVID bill back in March. Uh, just today, there is a, a rally uh, here on Capitol Hill, the Poor People's Campaign, titled The Moral March on Manchin and McConnell. So even though he voted yes, uh, people on the left are still coming after him. And even though it's his plan that Schumer has agreed to, to buy you know, into, you know, this, this agreement yesterday was not exactly a breakthrough at Yalta. Uh, but it was significant the Democrats were able to show on their side that they had all 50 Democrats. And it also revealed the limits of the Democrats' power and maybe, you know, running out the string on their agenda. You know, you can't do much in a 50-50 Senate, and that's why right now simultaneously they are working so furiously behind the scenes on infrastructure. Right. Uh, so a couple of things before I leave voting rights. They say, you have not heard the last from us. What would be next on this? I mean, you have 800 pages now, the two-page memo that I think Manchin drew up. A lot of that's a no-go for Republicans. I mean, the, when they say they're going to have a computer decide about redistricting, guaranteed, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll agree to a national holiday if it comes to the elections, but 15 days uh, universal for voting, everyone 15 days pre-vote. And I think they do agree on voter ID, uh, which is not something in the 800-page bill. Yeah, what is next? And Chuck Schumer didn't exactly lay out a plan. He, you know, had a lot of boilerplate language saying, "Well, you know, we don't want to put the cart before the horse." He was kind of vague. The reason is they don't really know what's next. Uh, there are two things I would watch for: one, which is more plausible; one, which is a little less plausible, but worth uh, looking at. There's this other bill, the John Lewis bill, which is not ready in the House of Representatives yet, which Nancy Pelosi has indicated that she's not as hot on, but it could be uh, fallback might be a strong word, but there. There are some things in there, and the fact that it has the imprimatur of John Lewis in terms of um, mandating certain voting rights requirements, which they already do in a lot of states, especially in the South, North Carolina, Florida, called pre-clearance is what it's called, and making that across the board. And that may help, at least from what the Democrats are looking for, and might be a little more palatable, frankly, to, to some Republicans. We'll see. The bill isn't done. The other thing is that this will turn up the temperature on maybe trying to change the filibuster. Now, I noted yesterday, and some people started to rattle about this yesterday afternoon, you had Vice President Harris in the chair. Uh, you had a 50-50 vote. If you look at the Constitution, it says that the vice president shall have no vote in the Senate unless they be divided, <laughs> you know, and will cast the tie-breaking vote. And so there was some thought, oh, could they try to do a nuclear option? Uh, yesterday. Uh, that was not quite in the cards. You're not quite at that step parliamentarily to do that. What is that? What well, is what corruption? You, yeah, yes, what you, that's where you eliminate the filibuster or you lower the bar. And that's what Harry Reid, the Democratic leader, did in 20, 2013. And that's what Mitch McConnell did to get Neil Gorsuch onto the Supreme Court in 2013. So this would do it for legislation. You still need 60 votes. This would lower the bar to 50. How is that votes. different from getting rid of the filibuster? Well, it, it is getting rid of the filibuster, essentially. I mean, it's modifying it in, in some respects. I mean, you could argue you still have a filibuster, but you just have to have 51 votes rather than 60, a supermajority. So, you know, I mean, these are, these are nuances here. So, you're, you know, you're right. But here's the key. So this will ramp up this attention 
on Kristen Cinema, the moderate Democratic senator from Arizona, Joe Manchin, who doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster or alter the filibuster. But what you need, and this is very important, and this is in the weeds, but it is critical. To do the nuclear option, which is what Harry Reid did in 2013 and what Mitch McConnell did in 2017, is you need a failed procedural vote, which is what they did yesterday. That is the parliamentary vehicle that you need to implement that. And so they have that available. So if they can ever get 51 votes on their side or get Manchin and Sentiment, and frankly there's a few other Democrats who don't want to get rid of the filibuster, to come around – Maybe they could do that because they now have that vehicle. But again, as I always say, it's about the math. It's about the math. It's about the math. The math does not work. So let's talk about what the president is going to do today. He's going to talk, have a press conference to announce his attack on crime. Crime, and uh, to me, it's lack of punishment. He focuses big time on guns. He's going to have. Uh, he's going to. Uh, part of his plan is to stem the flow of firearms. Uh, used to commit violence, support local law enforcement with federal tools, invest in evidence-based community violence interventions. So what did he see that has him breaking from his agenda and talking about law and order? Well, part of it is this uh, rampant crime in cities around the country. Uh, you know, you're seeing it in, in New York. You're seeing it in Chicago. You're seeing it in mid-sized cities like Cincinnati. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, all over the place. And so the uh, uh, the president doesn't want to say, look, like he's just ignoring this problem, especially when the right is beating him up over this or, 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 or you know, playing this up and saying, look, our cities are dangerous. What's going on? You know, do something. Uh, as you know, you know, law enforcement is generally a local responsibility. Not a federal responsibility, but that said, this is a way for him also to talk about guns because, you know what else, Brian? They can't pass gun legislation in the Senate. Chuck Schumer said this spring, he said, we will try to bring gun bills up, and those bills probably can't you know, get past a filibuster to start debate. Very similar situation as to what happened yesterday afternoon here on Capitol Hill. But if you can't do something about an issue, you talk about it. And if you can't do something legislatively about something, you have the executive, the president, uh, discuss it. Is there something they can do at the executive level? And that's what they're kind of looking at right now. I guess so. Uh, we'll see, because it is a problem. As Thomas Friedman writes today, if you want Donald Trump to be president again, continue to let crime go unpunished in these major cities run by Democrats, like it or not. And he's not a, f- a Trump fan. He hates him. Uh, but – he said that that's the one thing that gets to everybody's kitchen table, uh, crime and punishment. You're seeing it in Buckhead as they spin away from Atlanta, so it's not just inner city where they're trying to anyway. So the other big story is the bipart- while the president was away, a bipartisan committee met in the Senate side about an infrastructure package that's worth over a trillion, but in new money, less than $600 billion. Where is this bipartisan compromise? And even though Senator Sanders is on the record saying, I'm not for this, will he be? Well, you see, he he might not need to be uh, for this, because if you have the right mix of votes from the Republican side and the idea you would probably lose some Democrats, then you probably get up in the, you know, upper 50s or certainly 60 votes, which is so important in the Senate, even if you lost, you know, the most conservative voices and the most liberal voices in the Senate. Uh, But this is why Chuck Schumer is driving down both sides of the street. He has to. Again, it's a 50-50 Senate. And so that's where he said yesterday in July we are going to approach this from a two-tier strategy. Our own partisan bill, the reconciliation process, which is the one way you can get around a filibuster, which is basically the Sanders plan, the $6 trillion, or this more moderate version. And so you continue to have 
Steve Reschetti, who's the Deputy uh, White House Chief of Staff, and other top administration officials here on Capitol Hill every day negotiating this. And they're going to have to come up with a plan uh, probably today or tomorrow or at least a, a framework that they can massage over the 4th of July recess so they can come back and start to put these things on the floor in July, because that's when, uh, you know, you know, Democrats are saying, you know, that we can't wait all day. That's what Chuck Schumer has said. We're going to do this come July. And frankly, Brian, it probably drags out into August or September if I know things around here. Do we do two things? Do we do the one trillion and say Republicans, OK, let's shake hands, get together in the Rose Garden and sign it? And does does the president turn around and get four trillion or six trillion on simple reconciliation the next day? Bring you us might. behind the scenes on that. You might. Absolutely. I mean, there's a re- reason you, you do both ways. Unless somebody says you don't have my vote for A or B uh, because you've done both. You see, that's the problem. This is a very delicate balancing act for Chuck Schumer, and that's why he's going to have to make a decision. And you could have some senators who say that, and then you go with the one that has the most votes. Here's the problem, though. Whatever goes through the Senate probably, and it's usually the reverse around here, probably has a problem getting through the House. Uh, you know, maybe that bipartisan plan is a little better. But if you, well, I take it back. Maybe the Sanders plan is a little better in getting through the House of Representatives. But that may have problems in the House of Representatives. That bipartisan plan, you might lose a lot of these House liberals. And so again, that would be, you know, mm-hmm. the balancing act for Nancy Pelosi. And that's why you have some of these top administration officials, Rashetti and others, meeting with both Pelosi right. and Chuck Schumer today. Chad, I don't, yeah, I don't understand what was going on. Why would you send Senator Cap? win to negotiate with the president, then cut her legs out and negotiate another deal on the side? Because you, you have to show that you are working on something. And a lot of people didn't think that on both sides didn't think that that was going to be the, the, the way to go. But, you, you know, negotiating on Capitol Hill is always incremental. That was the first step. Uh, you know, you had Mitch McConnell, the minority leader, conscripting uh, Senator Capito, who's the ranking Republican on the you know, proper committee you know, that deals with infrastructure here on Capitol Hill to deal with that. And so that was natural. You know, and if you get a deal, great. But nobody thought that that was probably going to happen. And, and this is where, uh, you know, it's been fascinating to me to what knowing that this was going to be a months long process yeah. to watch every morning, every jot and tittle where I'm sort of like, OK, I'm going to pay a little bit of attention to that, but not a lot because it's probably not going to go anywhere because I've covered this stuff long enough to know that. That, you know, demanded a little bit of my attention, but not that much because, again, that, that's the, the, the process. That You know, it's a dance. It's almost a kabuki that you right. go through. Okay, Capito had to go through her steps, and Biden had to go through his steps, and now you're on to this other stage now. And both sides are kind of going through their steps, and it's a little more serious, frankly, because they're, they're, they're actually a little closer than they were with the Capito plan. And if they keep pushing Manchin, is there a chance he flips parties like Jim Jeffords did all those years ago? I tend to think not, um, but you know, you raise an issue. You know, it was about 20 years ago, and Jim Jeffords, who was a moderate Republican senator from Vermont, felt that he had been mistreated by the Bush White House, felt that he had been cut out of certain things, and again, it was a 50-50 Senate, and then he went to the other side. I will say though that Joe Manchin probably has more power a little bit with the Democrats than he would with the Republicans, even though he would de facto make the Republicans the majority if he were to switch. But nobody has really looked at that. Right. It's just something worth keeping an eye on in the background. Well, exit question. I watch Senator Cinema. understand she's in a purple state that might be transitioning to uh, blue. I get it. 
Does Mark Kelly know he's got an election coming up and he's ignoring the border, never talks about his concern, even if he's even if just expresses concern about losing the filibuster, things that would deliver moderate votes for him? Or is he feeling pervious towards reelection? You see, that's that's the issue, because that has not that universe has not yet formed yet for the election. And Kelly is, seems to be getting his sea legs a little bit here in Washington. There has been, as you say, a lot of criticism about him not addressing the border. Uh, he has been a little more forthcoming on some of his positions compared to Senator Sinema, uh, but, uh, but again, you know, has caught flack about the filibuster and everything else. And this is the interesting thing. This is maybe why Sinema is willing to be a little more vocal, although not much. She can take a little bit more of the heat because she has been at this a little longer than he has. Number two has demonstrated she can win, you know, swing elections. And number three, it takes the heat off of him where he has to stand for re-election in the fall of next year. So, you know, you know, don't forget, you know, sometimes these are not handshake agreements or elbow bump agreements. Uh, they are wink and nod agreements. And it's just kind of understood that uh, one might do the other. So we'll see. I mean, again, th- th- that, that, but that universe is not formed yet. We don't, we don't know how that's going to play in the mm-hmm. 2022 midterms. In fact, we don't know a lot yet about the 2022 midterms across the board. Right. We just don't know who uh, will be running against the popular and, and, and what the issues will be and the, and the political dynamic at the time. Right. Uh, but I will say one thing, and this will put a button on the whole thing. The Democratic uh, – the vote yesterday, the procedural vote that failed, Democrats want to use that and show that to their base as, hey, you know, the optic, Republicans don't want you to get out and vote, so go vote. And there's some people who believe that this really helps the Democrats to, you know, nudge their mm-hmm. voters to get to the polls in a midterm election when, you know, turnout mm-hmm. is usually a lot less. Uh, Chad, thanks. Appreciate it. Chad Pergram, uh, he's the best in the business. Uh, Tell us, bring us inside Washington. Thank you, Chad. Keep Thank in mind, if Republicans can't counter message that, they don't deserve to win an election. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. To be clear, D.C.'s current status is due to generations of inactivity by lawmakers, including um, the founding fathers themselves, failing to address the contradiction that D.C. residents of the U.S. Capitol are treated as second-class citizens. Okay. A couple of things. Uh, That is Mayor Muriel Bowser. Obviously, she'd like to be Governor Muriel Bowser talking about Washington, D.C. and the need to make it a state. The only reason why it's supposed to be a state for Democrats is because it'll be a Democratic state. You get two senators, more congresspeople, permanent majority or uh, seemingly permanent majority. If it was a Republican state, they wouldn't even be bringing it up. But that's what they're pushing now because they think they got 61 votes in the Senate. They do not. And not many people who read our finding documents really believe that Washington, D.C. should be a state because it was supposed to be apolitical, a place for lawmakers to come and legislate, not feel political pressure from inside. They're talking about dividing it up very narrowly and making it something like Douglas, Washington. Uh, No way should this happen. Uh, Puerto Rico should vote their way in and then petition us the way it used to be. Cut 27. More from Muriel Bowser. She gets into it with Senator Johnson because obviously everything is about optics. And we know how out of control Washington was during that summer of unrest just a year ago. Cut 27. We had one night of um, 
rioting in the district in do, the do you know how many are still being detained I don't know I don't know the answer to do, that. do you know whether by using geolocation did we go and arrest people who participated in the summer riots uh, in their individual states like we did with the January 6th uh, breachers we have made arrests uh, in both cases okay uh, one riot are you kidding? Do you think we don't have televisions or video players or streaming services? One riot? It was nonstop. We saw how out of control it was. In fact, they just ruled that it wasn't President Trump uh, opera, you know, uh, mobilizing, militarizing, radicalizing his military to help him out. It was her out of control city. But Senator Johnson getting uh, mixing it up. Senator Johnson's going to have a big decision to make whether he's going to go for six more years because he has certainly made a, a difference, but he's also made a lot of enemies. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. All right, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis will be with us uh, in about 34 minutes. You know, uh, Foreign Affairs Transportation Committee. She also is uh, seeing what's happening right now with this uh, voting, this H.R. 1, which passed through the House. Now S.R. 1 fell on its face. Uh, So much other infrastructure and so many things happening. We also want to talk to her about what's happening in New York. Uh, two primaries, Curtis Lee easily won the Republican primary, and it looks like Eric Adams is going to win on the Democratic side, or he has a substantial lead. It won't be formalized until shortly, favored to win. Whoever the Democrat is is favored to win the general. So what does that mean for the direction of the city? And what's the overarching theme? Crime. Out of control in almost every major city in the country. Uh, Chris Christie standing by to help us out through that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Western culture and values that brought forth Christianity in the founding documents are being called evil and racist. My child is not oppressed, and don't assume that. As long as you Marxists push your unconstitutional agenda on my child, she will not be returning back to Mount County schools. Uh, he was hearing it. That was some of the fireworks erupting at Loudoun County at the school board meeting, standing up and gaining momentum. The fight to defend our history and prevent critical race theory from taking root has taken off. Finally, patriotic Americans are showing they are willing to take the heat for the next generation and for this one. Number two. Well, first, I think if you look at a number of cities across the country, it is actually driven by gun violence. Um, There are major cities across the country where gun violence is absolutely the driver, where it is absolutely increasing. Uh, That is totally true. Jen Psaki, it is. uh, But she's blaming guns solely. Even Joe knows crime is a problem. Diagnosing the problem and offering a solution is where we separate on this issue. As Democrats dig in on gun grabbing, police reform, making sure criminals don't pay the price and not backing the blue. Number one. I'm thrilled that we defeated S1 tonight. This was a victory for the angels. This bill was written in hell by the devil himself. This (laughs) bill wouldn't make it easier to vote. This would make it easier to vote illegally. Uh, That is so true. Uh, Senator Mike Lee, although a little extreme, 
Uh, down goes S1, the most radical, unconstitutional voting reform ever presented. It fails. The vote was purely on party lines, and Dems are the utter definition of sore losers. you got to hear some of this rhetoric. Let's bring in uh, former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. Governor, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. You know, I mean, I was a little extreme by Senator Mike Lee. It's the devil itself and it's hell and all that. But S1 was 800 pages of unconstitutional. You're the law expert, but am I right? Uh, it was an awful bill that was meant to do one thing and one thing only, which was to drastically increase Democrats' ability to manipulate the system and win elections. Um, and that's all it was. And Democrats knew that right from the beginning. Uh, and no matter how they packaged it, no matter how they tried to sell it, um, they were they, they were not telling the truth. And so, you know, I'm glad that our Republicans stood up and stopped it. I'm glad that Joe Manchin stands up for the for the filibuster or else these things would all be law. And, Brian, it goes back to and this is what I want Republicans out there to be focused on. It goes back to the Georgia Senate elections. It goes back to us looking in the rearview mirror rather than talking about the future and about how Republican ideas are better than Democrat ideas. That's why we lost those races in Georgia. That's what's causing all this tumult in the Senate right now, or else we'd be in control of the Senate. And that's what we got to be focused on from this moment all the way through the midterms in 2022. So, But, but you think we put Democrats are looking back, looking to— I guess, uh, formalize a lot of the changes that were pandemic-related with the last election? Because Republicans seem to be playing defense here. Yeah, and and, and to me, you know, that's why very early on I went after the people who were going after the the Georgia election law, which in fact increased the ability to vote, um, increased, uh, you know, early voting, formalized having drop boxes available. Republicans are not against people voting. They're against people who don't have the right to vote voting. And that's why we're for voter ID. Um, And that's why over 70 percent of the American people are for voter ID. You know, what Democrats are doing is they are looking back at the tumult of last year and trying to make that the future in perpetuity for America. Americans don't want last year to be our future. We want a hopeful, optimistic future where Americans are back in control of their own lives, not the government in control of our lives. So I want you to hear, but it is the rhetoric is pretty stark. You heard Schumer two days ago say, shame, shame, shame. Here he was after the vote went down, and clearly it was 10 votes short. Not one Republican bought in. Cut six. And today, every single Democratic senator stood together in the fight to protect the right to vote in America. For the first time in this Congress, we got all 50 Democrats unified behind moving forward on a strong and comprehensive voting rights bill. And make no mistake about it, it will not be the last time that voting rights comes up for a debate in the Senate. Republicans may want to avoid the topic, hoping that their party's efforts to suppress votes and defend the big lie will go unnoticed. So you see that last line. I don't have to point this out to you, but for our audience— uh, the big lie and suppress votes. That's not what's happening. That's looking to keep voter integrity in these states. And we looked at about 30 states have changed some uh, rules in order to make sure it's an authentic election. Do you think Republicans have made a proper effort in defining what they're doing from Texas to Georgia to Arizona? To no, Michigan? we haven't done as good a job as we need to do. And here's part of the problem, because Schumer is connecting it to the claims that the election in 2020 was stolen from President Trump. And as long as we don't distance ourselves from that idea, 
um, they're going to continue to be able to connect the two and say the only reason these laws are being passed. No, the reason these laws are being passed is because during a pandemic, we saw the weaknesses in our electoral system, and we need to fix them and make them stronger so that we never go through having to wait a week to find out who actually won a presidential election again. So we don't have to worry about people being sent multiple absentee ballots. So we don't have to worry about all of those issues again. But we as Republicans have to be arguing a forward-looking agenda, not a backward-looking agenda. Let them be the ones right. who continue to dwell on 2020. Let us be the ones who talk about how Joe Biden is raising taxes, massive spending, you know, a huge increase in, in inflation that's coming. All these other things that are, and, and the crime that is rampant from New York City to Portland, Oregon, and every place in between. Uh, those are the things we need to be talking about how we fix for the American people. Right. And you know, two things have happened. Real reality. There's stuff that uh, experts like you will say, this is what I want to run on. And there's other things that happen in our country, and they're going to do, the American people demand to see where you stand. One is this critical race theory and parents sticking up, speaking out because of the pandemic. In many cases, they have a chance to see the curriculum of their kids for the first time. And many are horrified. And it's starting this whole uh, this ground up push to get a hold of what kids are learning in school. And a lot of it's anti-Americanism. And it's a lot of it is just so divisive. It's hard to put into words. I want you to hear this critical race theory. First off. Where do you think this ranks in terms of importance for a party to run on? I believe that the education issue in this country is the single most important issue for us to be talking about because it is the thing that unifies our country. Believe it or not, whether you're in an urban, suburban, or rural school district, you want your children taught to be proud of this country. You want them taught about the honest history of our country, and you want them taught about what we've done right and what we've done wrong, not just what we've done wrong. And the fact is that the other, the latter, is what's happening right now because the teachers' union and their liberal friends are controlling what's going on in our classrooms. There is nothing more important to the future of this country, and there's nothing more important politically right. to the people of this country. So, Governor, you hang out, or not to say hang out, but you know who runs these super PACs. You know where the big meetings are when the governors get together or, or a Texas conservative group gets together. They'll call you to be a part of it, and you'll make your choices. But I want you to hear this exchange from Sunday while you were busy on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. This was going on on NBC, and I just think it is clueless and unsubstantiated. Let's hear it. To this idea of critical race theory, I have to tell you, I just spent some time reporting on this county in Virginia about an hour outside of Washington. And, and to your point, this is something that is mobilizing people sure and is. resonating very deeply. This is a parent-led backlash at the grassroots level. It's, and it's manufactured. No, and it's, the it's completely... And then, and then sort of elected seems officials to have been lit. The up. fire was lit. I, I disagree. Yeah. I think it started because p parents have had it with the education bureaucracy after COVID. Mm -hmm. They're fed up with it. They tend to trust Democrats when it comes to education funding, but they trust Republicans on education accountability. So you hear Chuck Todd, you know, that unbiased host, dredge in and say this is Republican pushed, manufactured. So that and that was what the Democratic operative said on the set. Uh, that is just wrong. And because I've watched it, we walk into the morning, we're seeing this Board of Education. What are these parents, actors? You think someone's slipping them money when they leave the Board of Education meeting on a Monday night at seven o'clock? Now, look, it's ridiculous. Let's face it. Uh, Chuck Todd 
and just about everybody at NBC and MSNBC are wholly owned subsidiaries of the of the liberal left. Um, and, and he shows it every Sunday. Um, and, and that's why, uh, you know, folks should really start thinking about whether they want to subject themselves uh, to that uh, to that drivel on Sundays on, on NBC. But the bigger point is this. Um, this has been created by the overreach of the teachers unions during the pandemic to keep our children out of the classroom, to make parents keep them at home and do virtual learning with the parents knew was not going to be effective. And while the parents weren't watching, while the parents were distracted by the pandemic, they decided to double and triple down um, in terms of their own radical liberal agenda. And parents have woken up and seen it across this country. They don't like it. They don't approve of it. And they're not going to have it. Uh, yeah, and I actually don't even think liberals were always anti-American. There's something else going on between that and this whole trans debate, which is a small portion, such a tiny portion of America. Why it's front and center, I just feel something. there's some other force out there, separate from Democrats and Republicans in the past. I find it uh, really disturbing. But well, the, I, I think, go ahead. Brian, Brian, I really think it's the, it is the uh, progressive, ultra-progressive part of the Democratic Party who is now taking control of the Democratic Party and, as a result, control of liberal media. And that's why you're seeing so much of this now. They have their day in the sun. Now, interesting, you, you mentioned in the, in the big three about the, the New York mayor's race. Um, even on the Democratic side of the ledger last night, uh, you know, the most crime-sensitive person in that race, Eric Adams, a former police officer, won the Democratic nomination. That should send a real warning signal to AOC and all of the other crazy progressives that they are driving even their own party members away from their message when in New York City, someone like Eric Adams could even win the Democratic nomination for mayor. So what's going on in the governor's race in New Jersey? Uh, Murphy, they say, has a big, pretty big lead over Citarelli uh, in the first major poll. Yeah, but look. These these polls are traditionally unreliable. Here's what I'd say. The bad news for Phil Murphy is that he's awash in money here in the state because of all the money Joe Biden has sent him. He's now increased spending another 15 percent in the current budget that's just getting ready to be approved after having increased spending 29 percent over the four years that he's been governor. Um, so we're talking now about over a 44 percent increase in spending during five years, if uh, five years of his budgets, you know, this is going to catch up to him. And remember, too, even in that poll, which skews Democrat, he only was at 48 percent. Um, an incumbent who's under 50 percent is an incumbent who can be taken. And it's now up to Jack Cittarelli to make the case. We know we can win in New Jersey. I did it twice. It can be done. Um, and it needs to be done because it's driving our state off the cliff. Uh, yeah, it's very it's very hard to see what Governor Murphy did and think that he handled it well during the pandemic. Um, Remember this, Brian. Remember this. Some of the tightest restrictions, if not the tightest restrictions in the nation and the highest per capita death rate in the nation. More people died per capita in New Jersey than any state in America. And you guys were locked down in ridiculous fashion like us. I want you to hear this from last week's event in Orlando at a conservative conference. I'm deeply humbled by them. Ralph Reed knows me well enough to know the introduction I prefer is a little bit shorter. 
is does Mike Pence deserve to be called a traitor and heckled at a conservative convention? No, he doesn't. Listen, I've known Mike Pence for a long time. We served as governors together. He is a good, decent man who did what he needed to do, um, serving as vice president, first and foremost, being incredibly loyal to the president of the United States and pushing for his agenda every day that he served as vice president with effectiveness. Um, Secondly, uh, when confronted with what was going on on January 6th, he did what he was required to do legally and constitutionally. And that kind of treatment of Mike Pence is just absolutely wrong. It's wrong. It's factually wrong. And it's unfortunate that there are people out there who continue to stoke these things about uh, Vice President Pence because he doesn't deserve them. He absolutely doesn't. Any clear-thinking person knows. You might not want to vote for him, but he's a quality person and as conservative, uh, true blue conservative, uh, as you could ever meet. Finally, just on vaccines, you still say everyone should go get it, right? I absolutely do, Brian, and here's why. Um, you, you, you've seen what's happening out there. The, this, the vaccines are incredibly effective, and you see life now being reopened. Uh, I was at City Field on Monday night for the first time that we could allow full capacity um, at a Mets game, people sitting with each other um, and, and enjoying uh, the America's mm-hmm. pastime and people going on vacation, doing the things yep. that they've missed for the last 16 months. Here's why getting a vaccine is smart. They've proven to be safe. They've proven to be effective. And let's face it, it's like putting a seatbelt on, Brian, when you're in the car. Gotcha. It doesn't guarantee you you're not going to get hurt. But it increases your odds. Governor Chris Christie, always great to have you on. Always informative. Always interesting. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're about 230 cops short of our budgeted strength. We're using every resource available. We're using overtime to uh, force up and plus up the number so we can have more officers doing a number of things. I would like to hear about more resources and actual boots on the ground in our big cities. Yeah, that would be great. Talk about police reform without ripping them down. And what they want, if you want effective police reform that'll make the guys happy and the union even pleased, and that is more money for training and extend the academy times, but provide the financing necessary to do it. And I'm not talking about uh, states or cities that are washed with cash. The ones that also have to be accountable, those small towns need some additional financing and maybe some nationalized training to say, hey, this is the way, you, this is the new way in which we take somebody down. This is the proper way in which you pull somebody over. But to the elites, from cop to cop, provide financing that way. What bothers me most about what the president's going to announce today is all going to be about guns and gun trafficking, how many guns from South Carolina and Georgia end up in New York, and how many guns from Indiana end up in Chicago. That is just a small portion of this. It's the attitude. It's the family. And when it comes to policing, do not go go out of your way to praise. Please. When we come back, woman who always speaks her mind, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. And then we'll take uh, we'll get your uh, feedback on BrianKilmeade.com. Don't move. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We need to go after gun and gang violence in this city. And I'm the only candidate in the race that's looking at how do we have a long-term plan to stop feeding violence, but deal with the immediate issues that we are facing so we can recover as a city. Uh, That is Eric Adams, who was very critical of the cops in his 22 years as a cop, but he's the closest thing to law and order on the Democratic side. Curtis Lee will easily win through the Republican nomination. He's got an uphill battle in New York. Uh, But law and order matters in this country, even though Democrats don't think up until recently seem to be ignoring it like they do at the border. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis joins us now, foreign affairs, transportation, infrastructure. But most of all, uh, she's a New Yorker. Uh, Congresswoman, welcome back. Great to be with you. Thank you, Brian. Hey, first off, your your reaction to Eric Adams with the cop background coming in first, it seems. Look, it's definitely a tide that is turning in public opinion in New York City. A year ago, they cut $1 billion from the NYPD budget. People wanted more. Their budget. Yeah. And now, and you've seen crime skyrocket across our city, across almost every single category of crime. uh, And people, Democrats included, are demanding restoration of public safety. They want law and order. And um, the most recent poll prior to the election had showed among registered Democrats about 77 percent wanted more cops on our streets and they wanted to see the money restored to the NYPD. So certainly uh, it really put a a fire under everyone who was running on the Democratic side to then embrace uh, law and order. And um, you see Eric Adams as as a retired NYPD captain, a police officer. He was the one, I guess, who was able to really um, prove, I guess, to the the Democrats that he was going to be somebody who's going to take crime seriously. So there's a shortage of cops. Now they've been disempowered and they've been uh, demoralized. And now you have trouble even filling up the academy. Now they're going to find out reform without them at the table is going to be coming jammed down their throats. Uh, So Jen Psaki says when it comes to crime, this is going to be the president's announcement and focus today. Cut 12. So I would expect that his um, his uh, remarks tomorrow will build on will build on a number of the announcements that I've already touched on that he's made in the recent months, uh, making uh, guns, putting in place uh, safety measures to make our streets safer, uh, preventing uh, the use of uh, guns in, in violent crime across the country, ensuring that we can have more cops on the beat to protect communities. Uh, He obviously is a big advocate for the benefit of community policing. So we'll build on that foundation uh, and lay out a comprehensive strategy to address violent crime and gun violence. Right. All they want to do is talk about guns. I'm just going to give our our audience some stats that you live with. New York City, gun larceny, grand larceny up 25 percent, no guns. Uh, They have hate crimes up 116 percent, no guns. Criminal sexual assault, 23 percent. Los Angeles, uh, motor vehicle theft, 11 percent. No carjackings going through the roof. Uh, in Washington, up 30 percent. San Francisco, burglary up 6 percent. Motor vehicle theft up 6 percent. Arson up 18 percent. But all they want to focus on is guns. Can't they ever get off their agenda? Well, I'll tell you what's interesting is that, you know, the Democrats created this problem and and, in cruder form, they just want to spend more taxpayer money uh, to go after these problems that they created. So, you know, when we look at shootings, um, it was the bail reform in Albany that has allowed 
50 percent of individuals who actually use their firearm to shoot someone back onto our streets with no bail. Nine out of 10 of those possessing an illegal firearm being released back onto our streets uh, with no bail. So so you're, you're absolutely right. They created this problem and they're trying to use it to fit their own narrative. But the reality is it's the Democrats that defunded the police. It's the Democrats that took away the plainclothes task force of the NYPD that went after violent crime. It's the Democrats that passed these horrible bail laws in Albany. Uh, and by the way, Nancy Pelosi even tried to sneak that bail reform, similar policy, into the COVID relief package to make it a national policy. Uh, so what they've done in New York City, they're trying to do in Washington, and that has been part of my job as somebody who's seen firsthand the destruction that these radical policies, whether it be the qualified immunity, taking away our qualified immunity from our officers, whether it be tying their hands, whether it be taking away resources like defunding uh, the police as New York City has done, or whether it be the wacky bail law, trying to stop that from happening on the federal level. Because uh, you know what's happening here can happen everywhere if if we don't hold Nancy Pelosi and and those who are pushing these policies like AOC accountable. Uh, unbelievable. So let's talk about voter reform. It failed, thankfully. It did. It succeeded in the House. It failed spectacularly in the Senate. Not one Republican budge for it. Moderates are speaking out against it from Collins to Murkowski. When you lose them, you have no chance of winning. Uh, but in the end, rhetoric was rampant, including the president talking about Jim Crow 2.0, about these state changes, not in your state of New York, but in places like uh, Georgia and Texas and Arizona and Florida after they had the special loosening of restrictions during the pandemic. Listen to the rhetoric fly with Senator Schumer, cut six. And today... Every single Democratic senator stood together in the fight to protect the right to vote in America. For the first time in this Congress, we got all 50 Democrats unified behind moving forward on a strong and comprehensive voting rights bill. And make no mistake about it, it will not be the last time that voting rights comes up for a debate in the Senate. Republicans may want to avoid the topic hoping that their party's efforts to suppress votes and defend the big lie will go unnoticed. They want to bring up January 6th every time they can, and they team up repression when it comes to voting. Is that what Republicans want to do, repress? Absolutely not. But look, it's, it, the American people don't want it. They, they themselves have said that they want to see voter ID. 84% of minorities have said that they want voter ID. And same-day voter registration, by the way, which was also a part of this package, because, again, they wanted to ban states from having voter ID laws. That was the first part of this. The second part was they wanted same-day voter registration. So imagine you walk into a polling site, you register. Board of Elections doesn't have an opportunity to vet you, to make sure you even live where you say you live or you're actually a citizen or they're actually 18 years old. Uh, and, and, and so that would be a dis- complete disaster. And then the last part of this is using your taxpayer money to fund political campaigns. Does anyone who is listening to your show right now want to see $5 million of their tax money going to fund Ilan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or, or my campaign for that matter? You know, it's inappropriate use of taxpayer money when we are approaching $30 trillion in debt in this country. Uh, so their bill is a big sham. And the fact that 84 percent of minorities say they want voter ID laws uh, just shows you that their narrative right. is 100 percent false. Right. And it just goes on to a bunch of things. You're not going to be able to redistrict Washington, a nonpartisan group will redistrict. Uh, this stuff is 800 pages of crap. Uh, Mark Thompson, uh, totally out of control, 
compares the blocking of this to something extreme. Cut for This is a holdover um, from really the time of, of enslavement. Um, many of these senators represent places that don't have the same population, while the majority of people support this legislation. So this is not a democracy. This is a minority um, that is controlling this. And, you know, um, at the risk of making a controversial metaphor, I mean, we, we, we know what minority rule is. And there's a term for minority rule, and that's called apartheid. We Do you believe this? He got in enslavement and apartheid with the same announcement. That's a, uh, that's a uh, MSNBC expert on, on policy. You know what? It, it, it is truly sad. And people who throw around these terms comparing this legislation to Jim Crow, you know, diminish the history of our nation, diminish the meaning of what the Jim Crow laws were, diminish what slavery was, what, you know, it, it, it really truly is unbelievable that they would use these terms so lightly. And that's what should be offensive to people all across this country, that they are trying to redefine what these these horrible parts of our history uh, were and, and trying to make such a comparison. It's sort of like when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez compared what was happening at the southern border to a concentration camp. Um, you know, using these types of comparisons are extremely offensive. It diminishes the, our, our history uh, and, and the meaning of these terms. I, I, I just, for one find it to be just absolutely ridiculous. And um, again, when you have 84% of minorities saying that they want voter ID law, then, then how is this uh, suppressing minorities? It's not. And, uh, and to, treat, uh, to treat people, you know, as a Latina myself, to treat minorities as if we don't, we don't know how to access an ID, uh, that we're not smart enough or capable is extremely offensive. Right, but they don't even believe that. As even Stacey Abrams said, oh, first she said it's too expensive to hop on a bus and go to a motor vehicle and get ID. Really? Do you ever fly? Do they ever fly in a plane? Do they ever get a vaccine? Do they ever want to walk into a bill? I mean, you can't do anything without an ID, exactly. period. Uh, meanwhile, I got to bring you on foreign relations, and I know you care about this, and I hope our listeners do because it'll be too late by the time we pay attention. The way we're getting out of Afghanistan is so despicable and unconscionable, we're going to cost the lives of tens of thousands of people that fought with us. There's no parameters to get people out. We're basically turning the country over to the Taliban. It's going to be Saigon, but instead of a two years, how about two months? As Dave Ignatius writes, no right-wing liberal, no right-wing conservative writes, President Biden's decision to withdraw troops after two decades is understandable, however dispiriting it is to Afghans. What's harder for Afghans to fathom is why Biden is pulling the plug so quickly with so little apparent planning for what's next. Leaving the modest remaining force of 2,500 troops there was a little longer would have been a low-cost way of sustaining the shaky status quo. We are rushing now. The president of Afghanistan is coming here on Friday. We told all the contractors to leave. We'll leave them with an air force, but no way to work it or maintain it with no more money to sustain it. So if you can't pay the forces, you're turning the country over to a fundamentalist Islamic regime that will call ISIS and al-Qaeda their brothers in terror. How could this be responsible? Yeah, look, this is a, a grave concern. Um, you know, moving, look, everyone wants our troops to come home, but it needs to be done responsibly with a plan, with a proper timeline. Um, you know, this move, this rush will only hurt our allies in the region. 
risks our own national security. And but but it really, if you look at his entire foreign policy, uh, you know, he's making similar moves, removing sanctions from Iran, you know, uh, just making different moves that would allow for terrorist organizations to be the winners, right? So as you mentioned, there's the players there. You also have uh, Hamas that's being funded by uh, Iran, Iran funding, and our president goes and lifts sanctions from them. So there's a lot going on here, and I think that I would really just you know, advise them to be a little more cautious um, and, 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 and in how we're going to proceed here. Um, but I do agree with your sentiment, and I do express that same concern. I think it's something that uh, many members of the Foreign Affairs Committee have also been vocal about. But he, he, Congressman, you know that the American people, when they get a look at this, they're ignoring this. We're distracted. We've got a lot of things going on coming out of everything that we're coming out of. When they see this happening, when images start emerging, when the Taliban take this back, when China and Russia have more influence after our 20 years of blood and sacrifice, no one is going to be on board with this. And he's going to turn around and say, well, Donald Trump had the idea, and that's going to be his escape hatch. Bottom line is the result is bad for the American people. No, it's absolutely. It is a major issue, and it could be very much concerning to destabilizing the entire region. A lot of the, uh, and also I'm concerned about, you know, what does this mean for the developments that we've had in that region for not only decades, but most recently with the with the Abraham Accords. I mean, that whole region we need to be concerned, and we cannot allow terrorists to be taking over uh, various parts of. Uh, whether it be Afghanistan or whether it be uh, continue continue their activities in those neighboring countries. So I, I, I think this is something that, you know, we're going to continue to talk about in the Foreign Affairs Committee and try to hold the president accountable. Uh, we, we've put a number of resolutions in. We've written to Secretary Blinken. We have expressed our concerns about this, and we just need to continue to try to 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 push back as much, or at least at least we want to see uh, whether it be classified or not, a, a real plan given to the members of Congress of how this is going to be done successfully. They're going to be out by August 1st. It's going to be too late soon. Uh, I know you have a lot going on. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, thanks so much. Thank you. You got it. one 408 7669 is the number to call, but it's not working. Uh, I guess we didn't pay our bill. I'm not sure if it's an automatic payment plan or what happens, but for three straight days, we don't have phones, which is unthinkable. Uh, unacceptable. When we come back, uh, I have more to talk about. Believe me, I can go on for hours. Also, fascinating news about Iran. We're trying. We're begging them to get back into a bad deal with a with a right wing zealot that just won an election that was a total sham. But we also took down a bunch of their websites. More on that when we come back. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because man, do you need to know? You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And then I got a phone call and I was told all my records had just been broken. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm... There's no one else close to me. I, I shouldn't have my records broken. And then, um, yeah, I was told, well, Lowell's started weightlifting and she competed on the weekends. So as of now, you're number two. It's honestly just going to knock women out of sport. Uh, women are not going to want to participate in something where there is an opportunity for them to, um, you know, win medals or go to international competitions. 
Uh, and that is a very frustrated athlete that one uh, that is competing in the Olympics, and uh, she's from New Zealand. And she was told if you want to compete and you want to be successful, you got to go lose forty pounds because this woman, Laurel Hubbard, who was a man two years ago, has transgendered, passed the testosterone threshold test, and is blowing apart all the records. And and to me, that's just flat out unfair, and it's going to destroy women's sports. What's her name again, Eric? Tracy Lambrecht was speaking out. She's the best by far until a man became a woman. And this man, when he was a man, competed as a weightlifter, goes through transgender surgery, now is a woman, and going to Tokyo. To me, it's flat out wrong. I'm not alone by this, by the way. Uh, uh, Brett Favre has weighed in. Uh, he watched, I think, the segment this morning. He said, it's a man competing as a woman. He said, it's unfair. It's not fair for a man, even if that person wants to be a woman or feel compelled. If you want to become the opposite sex, that's fine. I got no problem with that. But you can't compete against males, and you can't compete against females. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, here we go. Rich Lowry, good friend of the show, longtime editor of conservative opinion magazine National Review, stepping down from his role overseeing the print publication to focus more on strategic long-term initiative as the company's editor-in-chief. Nobody buys magazines, period. Have you guys even noticed the magazine placed by our... Why we are here in our building doesn't even update it. They haven't had anything in 12 months. You know, I honestly, I haven't even noticed magazines in general. Everything is just online. Everything's downloaded, right? The yeah. thing is, you don't, when you see a magazine delivered, you look at it. I got magazines on my uh, on my phone and on my I- iPad, but I never go to them because I'm not thinking the other New Yorker's in or Time Magazine's in. So it definitely hurts. Next, the NCAA has dismissed uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh's blistering opinion after the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, get this, the NCAA is not happy. Mark Emmert said this, the notable thing is that eight other justices did not agree with that and wouldn't sign on to it. So I don't think that you can make very much of the concurrence its own view, and he's writing for himself, so I think that's just one person. He was very condemning of the NCAA argument um, uh, for saying that they have to keep their amateur status because everybody else is making so much money. I think I think college sports is at a crossroads. They've got to, some, got to be some very creative thinkers from here on in for it to sustain itself. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks Kilmeade. so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Martha McCallum will be joining us for the, uh, at about 11.20, uh, 20 minutes after the top of the hour, to bring us the rest of the way through. She's on television right now, as we are able to be streamed on Fox Nation. And we're going to be joined by Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. It's going to be great news because we are... A, Two great stations over in Oklahoma with so uh, KRMG, uh, and we're also heard in Oklahoma City. So she's going to be, uh, he's going to be with us shortly, and we have a lot to discuss as everyone is rallying around governors in Arizona and Texas who are being overrun by 930,000 illegals over the last eight months who have streamed through, and you're not going to believe what Joe Biden's up to. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
the Western culture and values that brought forth Christianity in the founding documents are being called evil and racist. My child is not oppressed, and don't assume that. As long as you Marxists push your unconstitutional agenda on my child, she will not be returning back to Mount County schools. Wow, fireworks erupt. Yes, standing up and gaining momentum in the fight to defend our history and prevent critical race theory from taking root has taken off. Finally, patriotic Americans are showing that they are willing to take the heat for the next generation and this one. Number two. Well, first, I think if you look at a number of cities across the country, it is actually driven by gun violence. Um, There are major cities across the country where gun violence is absolutely the driver, where it is absolutely increasing. Uh, that is true, and that is Jen Psaki. Even Joe knows crime is a problem. Today, he'll prove it. Diagnosing the problem and offering a solution is where we separate on this issue. The Dems uh, dig in on gun grabbing and police reform. Well, the Republicans uh, want to make sure criminals don't pay the price. That's what Democrats are doing. But meanwhile, they're not back in the blue, and they are letting everybody out of jail. Number one. I'm thrilled that we defeated S1 tonight. This was a victory for the Angels. This bill was written in hell by the devil himself. This bill wouldn't make it easier to vote. This would make it easier to vote illegally. Uh, So true. Down goes S1. The most radical, unconstitutional voter reform ever presented. The vote was purely on party lines, and Dems are the utter definition of sore losers. They are so angry, but yet it was expected. They didn't win anybody over because the 800 pages is so radical. And by the way, you can get our podcast anytime at BrianKillMeShow.com, so if you ever miss it. So in this 800 pages, to give you an idea of what was in it, automatic voter registration. So you live, you breathe, you're registered. Is that okay? Where do you work? Where do you live? Um, who are you? Do you have proof of ID? No, you're registered already. Vote harvesting becomes ingrained. They're going to prohibit states from purging their voter rolls. Really? So when you move or you die, you stay on the voter rolls? What could go wrong? Restore voting rights to convicted felons. About time, sarcastically. No restrictions with vote by mail, which is root, which is uh, overrun with possible fraud. That was done by a, a bipartisan examination of uh, our election system. 15 days of early voting, that might be accepted. An overhaul of the campaign finance system where voter, where taxpayer dollars would finance voters is uh, candidates. I'm not into that, are you? Expand early and absentee voting. Oh, is this going to be a voting season or a voting day? The legislation will put nonpartisan commission in charge of gerrymandering states deciding what district is what district. What do you know about Montana? What do you know about Florida? You want to give it to Washington? This overhaul bill was a disaster. It would essentially nationalize our elections. And remember, this is also an opportunity. An opportunity to say anyone who votes against it doesn't like minorities or black people. Mark Thompson, a podcaster, good enough and radical enough to be on MSNBC. Cut four. This is a holdover um, from really the time of, of enslavement. Um, Many of these senators represent places that don't have the same population, while the majority of people support this legislation. So this is not a democracy. This is a minority um, that is controlling this. And, you know, um, at the risk of making a controversial metaphor, I mean, we, we, we know what minority rule is. And there's a term for minority rule, and that's called 
Apartheid. Are you kidding? Apartheid? Apartheid for not nationalizing elections? Remember when Joe Biden, I thought for sure he'd want to walk this back. When people, when these states started looking at their election system and realizing people are on this, uh, on the rolls that don't belong, uh, the, the voting restrictions aren't there, there's too much unexcused absentee balloting, we don't know who these people are, too many, you cannot direct mail people ballots when we don't even know if they live there, someone fills them out, drops them off, drop boxes everywhere, they reined it in from state to state, not to restrict, but to reform in order to allow people's vote to count. But Joe Biden actually abused all this and said this. Cut one. At a time when the cry for justice 400 years in the making is ringing out across our nation. At a time when parts of our country are backsliding into the days of Jim Crow, passing laws that harken back to the era of poll taxes. Uh, It's just such a joke. I mean, he knows different, and he thinks we're gullible enough to buy that, and it fuels the fringe elements of our society. So after saying that and understanding that what the Georgia law didn't say is not how you're characterizing it, and it was a total mess, and you basically forced a timid Major League Baseball to move their All-Star game out of Atlanta, you're referring to Georgia rules, when they were even less restrictive than Delaware rules where you used to live and where hunters running up your credit card bill. I thought for sure he'd have an opportunity to walk back that statement and be less of a partisan. But he writes this. Democrats in Congress unanimously came together to protect sacred rights of voting because all 50 voted for it. Now, because Republicans didn't vote for it, didn't move forward. They stood against the onslaught of voter suppression that represents a Jim Crow era in the 21st century. Unfortunately, a Democratic stand to protect our democracy met a solid Republican wall of opposition, even opposing debate. What is wrong with him? Does he know how irresponsible that racial rhetoric is when it does has no foundation in truth? Cut five. Mike Lee. I'm thrilled that we defeated S-1 tonight. This was a victory for the angels. This bill was written in hell by the devil himself. This bill wouldn't make it easier to vote. This would make it easier to vote illegally. This is the Corrupt Politicians Act, and I'm glad we defeated it. Most importantly, Sean, we have to remember that this would have arranged for federal taxpayer dollars to fund campaigns. Several of my colleagues have pointed out to me in the last few days that in their campaigns, if this bill had been law, they would have personally been entitled to tens of millions of dollars of federal taxpayer subsidies into their campaigns. Okay, 100% true, and they turned away. So you understand that all these congressmen do is they raise money, they get the job, they have three months off, and they have to ask people for money again to run for re-election. You know how much that would have helped Republicans in some cases, in a lot of cases? But he said, no, taxpayer dollars should not be going into everybody's campaign. Don't we have enough? we got to leave some aside for the illegal immigrants coming across our border. we got about a million to finance. And remember, we got about 70,000 unaccompanied minors that are going to want uh, dental as well as college. So we have to be able to pay for that and pay for people's campaign to run to reinforce those opinions. Are you kidding? Lastly, um, just want to bring up what's going on with crime. It is out of control. Pop up that full screen if you can, Chris. Chris, um, uh, Pete, if you would. Uh, take a look at this. If you talk to Joe Biden, if you listen to his, what he's going to be announcing today, it's all about guns. It's guns going across city lines. Well, city cities might have tight gun registration rules and gun carrying rules. Other states don't, and that's how they get in. New York City, they claim guns come from Georgia and South Carolina. In Chicago, they all come from Indiana. In Los Angeles, coming from Arizona. So that's why today it's all going to be about guns. What they're missing is there's so much crime that is unrelated to guns, especially because they're getting rid of all these laws. Gun larceny up 25% 
percent in New York City. Criminal sexual assault up 23 percent in Chicago. Motor vehicle theft up 30 percent in Washington. Burglaries up 6 percent. Arson up 18 percent in San Francisco. And you know about the homeless situation. But yet Jen Psaki and company say the president's going to be coming out and he's going to be talking about reforming gun rules. Gun laws. Here's Ben Dominich on the folly of that cut 14. I think the president's going to say a lot of things that don't have a lot to do with what's gone on in the country over the past year and a half. If only there were a way to look back in time at things that were being said last summer, at things that were being promoted, ideas about the nature of policing and the way that prosecutors ought to drop various cases as being uh, nonviolent acts, you know, such as, you know, vandalism and uh, robbing stores and the like. If only we could look back in time and maybe then we would be able to know why we're seeing this type of rise in crime. It's just a mystery why all of this happened, uh, as opposed to being a reflection of the actual policies that the Democratic Party wants to put in place. Yeah, Ben Dominic put it well uh, with the Federalists now with us. Meanwhile, when we come back, Martha McCallum will join us. We might have other some special surprises. If you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, we're also going to examine what's happening with Iran. We've done something very Trump-like with their social media, and I can't wait to get the details. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The issue here is, is there actual access to the voting process, or is that being impeded? And uh, the, the bottom line is that the president and I are very clear. We support S-1. We support the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and the fight is not over. And that's the vice president on the Senate floor uh, announcing that it looks like the uh, we the people measure uh, for the people uh, went down in flames. Not one Republican voted for it. The people that spoke out against it were the ones that were supposed to win over, Mikowski and Collins. Joining me now, a person who voted against it. But first, to my immediate left, it's always a, a thrill, my immediate right, it's always a thrill to see somebody in person, Martha, yeah. these days. But Martha, back in studio, great to see you. Thank you. You got the story coming up at 3 o'clock. You just came off Fox yeah. Business, and I had an opportunity to kind of brag a little bit because we have a great guest right now. Do you want to join me in questioning him? I would love to. Okay. Um, vigorously? Yes. Good. Uh, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. <laughs> Welcome, Senator. Thank you. Bring on the questions. Welcome, She's in a good mood. Uh, <laughs> but, Senator, how do you feel about the vice president being pretty upset yesterday, say the fight is not over? Well, where are they going with it? You know what? We're all trying to figure out what they're fighting for. They, we ask the simple question, what vote is being suppressed in America? And they fumble around and say, well, there's voter suppression somewhere. Oh, there, there are federal laws already in place to be able to protect people from voter suppression. If there's voter suppression happening in America, Republicans and Democrats alike will line up with federal courts and say, let's stop it. Let's make sure everyone gets access to vote. This bill was not about voting rights, that they were trying to spin it this way. This bill was about radically changing the way we vote in America and making it it impossible to verify any election in the future. Absolutely impossible. Uh, It takes away all voter ID, uh, changes to ballot harvesting. So random people show up with other people's ballots that you have no idea chain of custody on it as federal funding for elections. Uh, This was not about uh, voter integrity. Uh, This was about taking away any kind of trust, any future election. So it went down in flames as it should. 
Hi, Senator. One of the things that has struck me as very interesting about this argument is that Democrats have framed it as this is all about the stolen election and the big lie. And because Republicans and conservatives are trying to convince you that the election was stolen, that's why they're against locking in these voter rights, as opposed to what I think is the reality, just based on the actual facts of the story, is that during COVID, there was this panic over having an election during the middle of a pandemic. So a lot of rules were changed because of the pandemic to adapt to that situation. But should those changes be enshrined as part of our our voting legacy? Uh, the, The answer is it could be, depending on the state. And that's why states actually make the decisions on this. What they're trying to do is to take away every state, anything, not that they did last year, anything they've ever done in voting and to be able to change it. And it is a complete bait and switch for them to say this bill is a response to what's happening this bill was actually written four years ago. They tried to float this same bill after 2016 uh, and saying the Russians stole the election. And so we need this radical election change. They're voting. They're floating the same bill again this time and saying because of the quote unquote big lie, we need to be able to do this. What they're trying to do is federalize the election and to say everything every state does is wrong and everything that Washington, D.C. does is righteous. And I just completely do not agree with that. And in addition, it's not even constitutional. Our Constitution actually gives the right for voting to happen in the states. So I just was amazed at a statement by President Biden. Sounds like he's a, a pundit or somebody trying to get attention. And here's a portion of it. Uh, they, meaning you, stood against the ongoing assault of voter suppression. I mean, excuse me, Democrats stood against the ongoing support of voter suppression that represents the Jim Crow era in the 21st century. Unfortunately, a Democrat stand to protect our democracy met a solid Republican wall of opposition. He keeps on bringing that up. It diminishes everything we've been through and gained from uh, why do they keep bringing this up? Do they just think the American public is barely paying attention or barely competent enough to understand its rhetoric? Yeah, I, I think the American people are tired of every time anybody makes any decision that disagrees with a Democrat, it's because they're racist. Uh, that's just their reflexive moment is, OK, if you don't agree with the Democrat, then it's because you're racist. They also are trying to conveniently hide the fact that Jim Crow era laws were passed by Democrats. Republicans are the party of Lincoln. Republicans are the ones that stood against Jim Crow laws uh, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, It was Democrats that were actually passing all of those. And so they they try to just conveniently just hide that fact on it. If there was anyone trying to suppress the vote, Republicans, Democrats alike would stand up and say, no, we've got to be able to protect the right of everyone to be able to vote. But this bill was not about protecting the rights of of individuals to vote. Uh, This bill was about making voting easy, cheating easy, and verifying elections impossible. And that is not the right way to go. Senator, can you shed some light on the dynamic of this whole battle has been very interesting because you've had Republicans fighting it at the state legislature level and logging, I think, 22 or 23 wins across the country. Uh, Sort of, I think it, it appears now, accurately assessing that that was where the battle needed to take place. Can you shed some light on on how you look at at all of that? Yeah, so Republicans looked at the election and said, was there a gap in the election or was there something we could learn from the pandemic time period of changes that were made that we could actually do it better? So in my state, we added another day of in-person voting early uh, to avoid long lines and to make sure people had more access to more moments to vote. That's one of those bills that Democrats quote and say people passed all these things in Republican legislatures that diminished the ability and suppressed the vote. 
adding one more day of voting, of early in-person voting with what we did. Uh, then you've got uh, states like Georgia and others that added more days of in-person voting. They added drop boxes uh, that had to be secured and be in a certain spot. They hadn't done drop boxes before. They did it during the pandemic. They said, okay, let's make that into statute. We're going to continue to be able to do that to get more access. Just not as many. To be able to vote. Yeah, just, they just said just not as many. And then we want to be in a secure location. So they're tracked right now. They handle it by mail. So you're giving it to the postman, a government official in that sense. Uh, to be able to handle and it's secure, or you actually turn it in in person. They didn't want to leave a situation where they suddenly don't know chain of custody on a ballot. That's why I'm so opposed to ballot harvesting. Somebody showing up with a box full of ballots on Election Day and saying, trust me, these are all good. Uh, no one can actually right. trust. We we can't verify that. Senator, yeah, from so what you so important. from what you read, would you sign on to this bipartisan infrastructure bill that could be circulating out if the White House lets it? Uh, Brian, I'd love to tell you I know what even that is anymore. About every four hours, that proposal changes. Uh, so uh, whatever it is now, it won't be the same a couple hours from now. So it's still a moving target. I, I do think we need to do infrastructure. We've always done infrastructure bipartisan, uh, but it's hard to be able to tell what the proposal is right now. Understood, because you have basically 500, what is it, Martha, 560 billion in new money, but about $1 trillion overall. But the Biden administration hasn't embraced it. What if another one of $6 trillion was coming up behind it? <laughs> That's the Bernie Sanders, uh, Joe Biden proposal of we're going to do this giant plan. B- Biden is focused on being FDR-like. I mean, that, that's his whole thing that's behind the scenes of we want to do something historic and yeah. huge. Republicans just want to build roads and bridges and do our job. Uh, we're not interested in being the historic yeah. figure right, out there, ja- uh, legendary. Uh, yeah. They'll jam it down your throat. Senator James Langford, thanks so much. Martha, you have to stay. I will. I'll stick around. Thank you, Senator Langford. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. To this idea of critical race theory, I have to tell you, just spent some time reporting on this county in Virginia about an hour outside of Washington. And and to your point, this is something that is mobilizing people and resonating very deeply. This is a parent-led backlash at the grassroots level. It's it's manufactured. No, it's it's And then then sort of seems to have been lit. The fire was lit. I disagree. I think it started because parents have had it with the education bureaucracy after COVID. Mm -hmm. They're fed up with it. They tend to trust Democrats when it comes to education funding, but they trust Republicans on education accountability. I think that what the backlash you're seeing on critical race theory in schools is another example of parents trying to hold educators accountable. I don't know if you recognize that voice, but that was Chuck Todd, host to Meet the Press, telling everyone it's top down and this is financed. Martha McCallum here. Our show's going to start at 3 o'clock Eastern time. But Martha, I was astounded on Sunday. There was two or three uh, the Democratic operative there, uh, two came out and said uh, Cornell West. uh, uh, No, not Cornell West. Belcher, Cornell Belcher said, oh, yeah, this is finance. This Republicans want to finance a culture war. No, it's impossible. Do you think those 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 Virginia parents were getting a check from Karl Rove? I mean, come on this. If there's anything organic that we're seeing happen, there's no glory in go to a board of education meeting at seven o'clock on a Monday or a Tuesday and screaming and getting cut off and humiliated a lot of times with your kids there because you're emphatic that the curriculum is out of control. That doesn't come from the, the uh, doesn't come from the MAGA army. You cannot f- 
manufacture real passion and emotion. You can't. And the thing that is so striking to me about this Loudon video from, from yesterday, which is absolutely extraordinary, you can't fake that. You can't pay for that. You can't make it up. It is absolutely a grassroots effort. And the thing that is so striking is that just two months ago, Brian, there was only one person standing there. You know, and we'd look at the video and go, wow, that person's pretty brave because everybody knows what happens to your kids or happens to you and your neighbor your, your neighbor with your neighbors. I remember that woman, you know, who got like somebody flipped the bird behind her head, her neighbor across the street as she was getting into her car because she knew she was talking about critical race theory. So this is a growing momentum. It reminds me of the Tea Party. It reminds me of other movements in the past. But the thing that is so striking is that it's so easy to group these individuals in with, you know, sort of, they're, oh, they're like, so you listen to those other TV shows, they're, oh, they're like basket of deplorables, right? These are like those crazy people that you've always known about who cling to their guns and religion, like President Obama said. It, it becomes like, oh, we, we can just put a label on these people, but you can't. Because the truth is that these people are coming from all different races and backgrounds and economic backgrounds. And so the effort to try to label them or say that they're some, some sort of financially supported entity is going to backfire. There's no question because... And you, and I know you watch for this, but people want to say, look at the white people standing up trying to defend, trying to hold on to their supremacy. Right, that's that's, that's, that's other that's channels. The whole, that's There's the nothing whole to do with it uh, because those same white people watch their kids come home to hear about the 1960s race riots and how it was deemed okay in the South to have black and uh, black and white water fountains and bathrooms. Nobody ever said that Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't necessary and his movement wasn't needed. He didn't revolutionize uh, this country and make, force us to take the next lap in evolution in racial justice justice. I get it. But the one thing different from then and now is there was no vilification of white people. There was a push for black people and a lot of normal, sensical people were pulling them forward. Now they want to make sure that everybody knows that 220 years ago, uh, whites had slaves like every other continent on the planet and we didn't invent the concept. These people are representing the principle of Martin Luther King. And these people, right, they're all like, you know, probably in their 40s and 50s, right? They grew up the way that we grew up, being taught from the youngest as I can remember. You know, we don't judge anybody by the color of their skin. We judge them by the content of their character. So these people grew up with the civil rights movement. They understand it, that the whole idea was that there wouldn't be a separation between black and white, that we wouldn't look at people differently, that we're going to judge people based on their actions and their character. Now they're being told something completely different and they're saying, wait a minute, how does this line up with anything that we fought for in the civil rights movement? When I was a kid, there was so little discussion about the, the, it was was a different world because that was the goal, not to see people based on the color of their skin. Now they're asking people to do the opposite. Right, everybody, any gender too. Oh, you! Oh, for a woman, congratulations, uh, Martha! You're the first English Scottish Mayflower no, descendant to do this. No, I hate that. I hate that. So, I, you know, to me, we want everyone to succeed based on what they do and and their talents. We don't want to have these little labels attached to what they did. Oh, she's the first blah 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 blah. Who cares? Who I, cares? At this point, I didn't think we'd be doing it in 2021. I didn't either. So. Youth, I think this is serious. I believe it's organic. I know it's organic. I talk to these uh, parents offline and online on this show and on uh, Fox and Friends and before they come on the air. But I was struck by Barack Obama wants to sell his book for Father's Day, so he's doing some interviews. Mm -hmm. Listen to what he said about the conversation we're having. You would think with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now that, you know, the Republican Party would uh, be engaged in a 
significant debate about uh, how are we going to deal with the economy and what are we going to do about climate change and what are we going to do about lo and behold the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory who knew that that, <laughs> that was the threat to our republic but just so here's it the, off as here's the no morons. I know I, I mean but here's here's the problem we are underperforming in our education systems all across this country. One of the things that I think has not been prominent enough in this discussion is, excuse me, how many days do you have with my child? How much time do you have to teach them what they need to know? Your mission is to educate. Like the military's mission is to defend the country. You have one mission, educate our children, right? Don't get, don't broaden it out and, and, and make these issues become part of English and math and history. We are like... 17th and 23rd in math and English in the developed nations around the world, country. Why isn't there more outrage about that? Why isn't the former president of the United States outraged yeah. about what a poor job we are doing educating our, our kids? And you know where it's the worst is in rural areas and the inner cities. We should care about these children. We should care about their future. We're doing a lousy, lousy job of educating them in so many parts of this country. Not all, but in many parts of the country. So we're going we're gonna to spend our time on this when we haven't even done the basics yet? Yeah, I, it's a great point. So one of those moms, uh, Amy Jar from Loudoun County, here's a parent last night getting shut down at the school board. Cut 17. Tonight was um, our school board meeting on steroids, but it has been typical like this all year, silencing us. Every time we try to speak, every time we try to write emails, they don't answer us. Um, it, 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 it erupted. Emotions were high tonight, for sure. It was the last school, school board meeting. There were 250 people signed up to speak, and they shut us down right after uh, Dick Black stood up and spoke. And he is a retired senator here in Virginia, Republican senator. And as soon as we all erupted in, in cheering and applauding, uh, she shut it down. This is what's going on. That board's going to get recalled and not. The board doesn't get paid a lot of money. I get it, but they have tremendous influence. And when we used to have talk to experts who talk about if you want to change things in this country, where does it start? They would say the school board. Mm-hmm. And you kind of your eyes kind of roll and you go, okay. No, it's true. How do you do that? Now it's happening organically. Yeah. No one's writing checks. Now what, what Soros has done is get these DAs to reflect this permissive culture That's and right. uh, and uh, tell criminals you've been wronged and you're going to get out soon. That was concerted. We know it. We know it for a fact. These are financed elections that very few people pay attention to. Believe me, I'll tell you, I haven't met very Republicans organized enough to get into the school boards in Virginia and in Maryland and in Montana. But that's what's happening. Yeah. I think there is some organization behind trying to do that at the school board level. Um, but it is not the kind of concerted effort that we've seen on the other side. And, you know, most of these meetings are getting so shocked, right? Because for for years, they just like held their meeting. It took like an hour and a half. And it was over. They're getting they're getting brought in and, and held on the carpet. You know, you, you better give us an opportunity to speak. We're the parents of the children of the school of, that you represent. And. You know, I, I think the game has changed completely. And, you know, the Board of Education, too, had tremendous influence on how their school bounced back from the pandemic during and now after. How well, soon, that's a whole other story. Yeah, would you do down bounce back? Why not? Well, the school board didn't want to take a chance. Well, uh, I have to say I got really lucky. Our school board was fantastic. They immediately bought the plexiglass. They said in rules, everyone's on an email. So if uh, Martha McCallum's son or daughter and tested positive, your name wouldn't be there. Would it be 
three in fourth grade at such and such school tested positive. Bum bum tested positive. Contract tracing was a system that was put into action. Everybody else, I can't tell you how many people say we had no system. We just said stay home, stay on Zoom, where the kids wouldn't put the camera on, or they run to Starbucks during gym. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I'll never forget those, those kids who talked to President Biden and the First oh, Lady, yeah. and they're like, "What do you think? How did remote learning work?" Bad question in yeah. that room, right? Because the first little kid was like, "Well, you know, sometimes if I didn't want to." Listen, I would just turn off my mic and I could sometimes I'd go get something to eat. <laughs> and <laughs> when I was tired, I could take a nap. Right. Uh, Dr. Jill, I didn't know that it came yeah. up. I and, and there's another problem for the school board because what has happened in this country as a result of that is that we have just a tremendous loss of learning, the likes of which I think we're going to feel for decades. All right. I want to bring this up real quick before we go to break and to find out more to know. And that is what's happening at our border. I was staggered to see this. In eight months, 973,000 people have come that we know of across our border. Yeah, at a time in which we don't let Canadians come in the north or Mexicans technically legally come in unless it's business Related. I mean, you can, if you're a student, you got to stay in Canada until you prove that your school's about to start to come in or your sport's about to play, nice. at which time they still are rationalizing that this is okay. At which time, yesterday, a missive was put out that anybody that was turned down to the Remain in Mexico policy when asylum was rejected, I want you to reapply because we need to know if you were rejected erroneously. Really, why the hell would you do that? Spend billions of dollars on people we don't know in a country desperate for social services that we don't have. Now we're spending it and allocating it to these people. I'm not sure that he is not by keeping his hands off. He thinks he's winning President Biden and vice president. I'm not sure he's not making sure that more district in Texas go red and Arizona revisits their policy. Even in New Mexico, what are they thinking? You've been totally ignored. They told you no drilling on public land. You're all public land. Yeah. No more natural gas. Once in a while, are these people going to say, well, I'm, I'm a Democrat, but the guy in the White House has totally destroyed my personal economy. And any gains, I think, in, for, in, in Texas are going to be reversed because of the chaos at the border. Am I wrong? You know, you have to kind of scratch your head when you look at this. I mean, Joe Biden has a very long public record. His stances on these things have changed so dramatically that it, it to me, you know, the best question for him is what changed? What changed so Why? Why are you no longer in favor of a secure fence border act of 2006? You know, why? Why would you? You know, the crime bill, I was reading things that he said about the crime bill. And we're going to talk about this on the story today. He basically said in 1993, you know, I don't care what the root cause. No, I don't want to use the word root cause because I don't want people to think I'm talking about the border. He said, I don't care what happened to you, basically, as a young person in your society. If you're a criminal now, you need to be off the street. That's what he said. Right. What happened? Get these SOBs off the street at one point. Right. So I really want to know. What happened? And with regard to the border, the question that I would love to ask Kamala Harris, instead of, you know, she's been hammered with, like, when are you going to the border? I would ask her, since you were given this job, what what have you accomplished? Can you give us a progress report on how it's going? Great conversations with two leaders and two on Zoom. That's no it. idea. Yeah. That's it. I had Visa open up checking accounts for a bunch of people that are waiting for their mud yeah. hut to be repaired. And, and it's hard to argue anything other than when you talk about that Remain in Mexico policy that they just want. They want people to come in. There's, no, There's no other way to interpret it. They want more people to come in. And, you know, by extension, that becomes people who 
who will vote for them, I guess, you know, even though it's interesting to see the movement in, in the American resident Hispanic population, which has become more and more conservative over time. Right. Uh, the Rio Grande Valley uh, border chief says apprehensions on large migrant groups are dwarfing prior years. Uh, what they're seeing on a daily basis, people said it was going to slow down. It is not slowing down. I sadly think that a lot of our National Guardsmen and cops and state police from Florida, Idaho, and places like Nebraska, I feel they're going to just stand, stand around like they did in Washington yeah. because there's not much for them to do. I mean, because where are they going to put them? Where are they going to do? What's their jurisdiction? Right. I mean, apprehension is really a loose word, right? Right. I think encounter is the better word because it's kind of like, oh, hi, did you just enter the country? Okay. Stand um, over here. You know, yeah, stand over here and then see you later. We're going to put you on a plane and send you to another state. We're going to – and they don't even tell that state that people are coming in. They try to keep it, like, very hush-hush. I've, I've talked to him, tons of people in Congress who are like, yeah, this whole plane landed in my backyard this week. No one ever let me know. Never it's, did. It's unbelievable. Right. And remember Kamala Harris when she was senator in Homestead, Florida, protesting who's the, who are the kids in this facility. Right. What happened to that? We can't even get her to a facility. No. Uh, so, listen, Martha McCallum's going to stick around exclusively tell us what's on her show, and we're going to find out if she needs to know more. The answer might be no. Maybe she knows enough. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you think that what women wear has any effect? That, that that's part of this temptation? If a woman is uh, uh, wearing very few clothes, it will have an impact on the men, unless they're robots. I mean, it's common sense. Uh, yes, but is it really going to provoke acts of sexual violence? It depends which society you live in. If in a society people haven't seen that sort of thing, it will have an impact on them. That is the CEO. Uh, the CEO. Uh, that is the Prime Minister of Pakistan talking to Jonathan Swan of Axios. He said some extraordinary things. Eric wanted to play me that, especially with you here. It just goes to tell you the different cultures, but they're talking about the rash of crime. Blame the women for how they dress. Well, you know, I just think I think it's an interesting exchange. I just think the cultures are so completely different, you know, um, that it's it's kind of difficult to judge that based on our on our way of looking at it, because it's just it's it's such a completely different culture. Right. I I would say this, too. She sat down with the prime minister of Pakistan. and We talked about Afghanistan and the way we're getting at is so blatantly irresponsible and how we're doing it, and basically we're saying the 11,000 people that work with us, we're just going to try to get you out. We're turning the, co- the country over to the Taliban, who is, uh, has a symbiotic relationship with ISIS and al-Qaeda. So the CIA said they've been telling us we're still going to have intelligence operations over there. So listen to this question and this answer from Jonathan Swan. Will you allow the American government to have CIA here in Pakistan uh, to conduct cross-border counterterrorism missions against al-Qaeda, ISIS, or the Taliban? Absolutely not. There's no way we're going to allow any bases, uh, any sort of action from Pakistani territory uh, into Afghanistan. Absolutely not. So isn't that a kick in the head? So how are we going to understand what's going on in that region when we lose total presence in Afghanistan and now we lose total presence in Pakistan? Well, you know, as I said earlier, it just it makes me so sad for any American family who lost someone in the United States military over the past several years, because once the mission changes, once there's a designated date to leave, in this case, September 11th by the Biden administration, 
how would you feel if, if you lost a beloved family member who was over there fighting for something that had a, an a expiration date? And then I think back to the whole question during the Trump administration of talking to the Taliban, bringing them here, negotiating with them. It, it's quite clear, right, when you look at them overrunning these villages at this point already, that negotiating with the Taliban was was dumbest. the dumbest thing that you could possibly ever think was going to be fruitful in any kind of arrangement. So, you know, it's like you you have to be mission oriented in these endeavors and I know people are tired of of holding down the fort in Afghanistan and it's clear that listening to the Pakistani leader that that he doesn't want us there. The question is what happens after you go? Who's who's not safe? You're, what safe harbor develops quickly? What how does that region change and what what is the threat to us because that's what it's right. all about. It's about preventing the threat who's to the United States. So we're going to talk to Lindsey Graham. Uh, we're going to talk to Tom Cotton. Um, we're going to be watching the crime announcement from Joe Biden. And we're going to be reflecting on what he said about crime, which was very different back in 1993. With that promo, it's almost like you're bragging. It's like, I'm Martha McCallum, and I got the best guest list ever. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. It's true. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.